This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Hi, Equity Mates. Bryce and I have just walked out of a presentation by Climb Capital. Uh, they're an investment fund um, that have offices in Australia and also um, across the globe. The presentation was entitled uh, Investing in a Volatile Market. And we um, are just going to tell you a little bit about what was said, some of the key takeaways, and hopefully pass on some of the information and some of the lessons that they had um, on to you. Bryce, why don't you tell us about Klein Capital, seeing that you're an investor? Too easy. As Rena said, I have a bit of money in Klein. They're an ASX-listed uh, fund management company that you can uh, invest in both with a minimum of 10000 I think it is, directly into the firm, uh, and they'll individually manage your funds, or you can... Uh, get a bit of exposure to them from uh, the ASX. So we, we should make the distinction there. If you're investing, if you're giving them ten thousand to invest, then the people who work at Climb will invest your money. Yeah. Or um, as you've done, yeah. you can invest in the business itself, like yeah. Climb Capital as a company, yeah. and back them into you know keep making money with performance fees and the like, yeah. and uh, own the part of the company that way. That's right. But the reason that uh, I like them and we went along today to listen is because they have a very strong focus on value investing. It's their main strategy. And we thought it, that it would be a great opportunity to go along and hear what they have to say as professionals in the industry uh, about how they're going to approach 2017 from a value position. So it's going to be a brief discussion. There's three takeaways that we got out of it each. For me, the first one was that there's such opportunity going forward for value investors to find great undervalued companies in a volatile market, especially as we're seeing periods that are, we haven't gone through before, especially since the global financial crisis. Yeah, so why don't, why don't you just quickly explain what volatile markets are? Volatile markets are markets that are quite reactionary, that go up and down uh, without any sort of consistent basis. Yeah, so the price fluctuates in the medium to long term. It's pretty flat. That's right. But the daily movement is quite... That's right. Um, quite so with a volatile market, you might find that over a period of five or six years, the market itself might not have risen much. But within that five or six years, there would have been a lot of peaks and troughs. Exactly. And as a value investor, it's a very it can be a very rewarding time if you uh, manage your funds correctly to invest during these, these periods. Um, so that was probably my biggest takeaway was the understanding that, you know, if you have the capital ready 
and markets are dropping, then it's a fantastic opportunity um, to finally get hold of some of the companies that you might have been watching um, and, and get them at a very low, unvalued price. All right, so I guess my, my first takeaway would be about the Australian large cap companies. So, you know, these are the big banks, um, Telstra. BHP. Yeah, BHP. Rio. Rio um, just, you know, the big Australian companies. An important thing to know about these Australian companies is that compared to the rest of the world, they pay extremely good dividends. And while that has been attractive for investors and um, in really good periods for the Australian economy, it's great because if these big businesses can grow and also pay dividends, well, that's a win-win. But what we're seeing in a pretty low-growth global economic environment is that these companies' investors expect them to still pay big dividends Because of that, they are having to use money that they could otherwise invest in growing their business. Uh, They have to use that money to pay dividends. So, look, there's an opportunity cost. Like, you know, if you're the CEO of, um, you know, Commonwealth Bank uh, or or Telstra, um, you want to make your shareholders happy and you want to live up to their expectations. But you also have to try and plan for the long term. And, you know, every dollar you pay in a dividend is a dollar that you could have invested in some new technology or, you know, improving your supply chains or just investing in the productivity of the business. And what we're seeing in this low growth environment is that these big companies are choosing to pay dividends rather than really maximise the investment in their business and really set themselves up for the future. So that's not to say that Australian large caps should be avoided because good, strong, defensive stocks that pay high dividends are important and depending on what you're looking for may be the best investment for you but don't expect great growth um, and great share price growth out of these companies um, they're, they're to be invested in really if you're seeking good paying stocks and good dividends and especially with the banks what, what we're seeing now is that they're having to do a lot of capital raisings which is you know raising money from investors to fill sorry, to fulfil the capital requirements that the government are putting on them. But what they're doing is they're raising capital on one hand and then still paying quite good dividends on the other hand. And whilst that's keeping shareholders happy, it's not exactly great for their balance sheet because if, if shareholders didn't expect such high dividends, then you could see them withholding more of that dividend and having to raise less capital, which would probably be better for their balance sheet in the long term. Um, so just something to keep in mind when you're thinking about investing in those big Australian companies. Nice. The second point for me that I really took away from it was not necessarily something new to us at all, but something that sort of reinforced, uh, you know, the strategy that we're pursuing. And that was the relationship between value investing and how it's linked so strongly with uh, the broader economic environment. You know, they made mention of taking into consideration the cash rate, unemployment rate, um, you know, Exchange rate. exchange rate, bond yields, which is something we'll discuss a bit later, yeah. and finding value and uh, like market and company positions uh, based on that. Um, so I, I guess it's because the way that all those factors influence our businesses' prospects. Yeah, yeah. And I think that these are things that as a first-time investor, you can understand or begin to understand how these affect a company environment much more than trying to understand the financials of the company, PE ratios and that sort of thing. So maybe as a quick example, let's take exchange rates. How how would that affect, um, you know, your investment decisions? Well, I mean, on a simple level, uh, if your company is a strong exporter or importer, an increasing or decreasing exchange rate is going to have implications for their revenue at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was, that's probably the most basic, you know, example. Um, but a, a way to look at it. Yeah, and we'll, we'll go through some of these things in later episodes. Um, we'll talk about 
you know, what the exchange rate or what in, what interest rates mean um, for certain sectors, certain companies. Um, we'll try and give you as much knowledge as we can about that. Just just for now, just for this little summation of the talk, we'll leave it there. Yeah. So another takeaway that I had was uh, about a key metric that Climb use when they're looking at value investments, and that is um, return on equity. And basically what that means is how much return are these businesses getting for the capital that they deploy in a business? So really simple example, if I own a business and I invest $100 in that business, what return am I getting? And if for every $100 I'm investing, I'm getting $10 back, I'm making 10% return on equity. Climb's metric was they would only invest in a business that was getting 15% or more return on equity and also had a pretty consistent track record of doing that. They said five years in the past and three years in the future. So in the past, you can look at the company's financials. In the future, you have to look at their projections and to an extent, you have to trust their projections. But the the main thing is if, if they have a consistent track record of getting good return on equity, you can gen- generally back in that they have a good management team, um, that they have people there that know um, suitable ways to deploy capital to really get the most out of their business. And that's what you want to see at the end of the day as a shareholder. Mm. You want competent management team that really is going to use every dollar to the best of their abilities and maximize your value as a shareholder. Mm. Yeah, so I mean... 15% return on equity would actually filter out a lot of companies yeah. listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, and that's something that they made mention of as well, but they're just not interested in any other company yeah. that, is, that falls below that, that yeah. mark. And I mean, that, that's, that's a good thing to sort of have as um, an investor going forward because you can get lost in company financials. But, you know, if you, if you can have a couple of key metrics that you sort of pay particular attention to, so, you know, client has return on equity, a lot of investors look at, um, you know, price to earnings ratio or earnings per share, you can have these sort of key figures that you look for, you think are important, and that can sort of filter out a lot of the numbers and a lot of the noise, and you can sort of just focus on what you think is important. Yeah, well, it was interesting because I definitely don't have a set figure that I would look at a return on equity for a company and, and filter it out either yay or nay. Mm-hmm. And I know that you know 15% might seem quite high, but that's also because of the understanding that they are a superannuation-focused fund. Um, and I'm sure a lot of the stocks that we're looking at at the moment wouldn't have a return on equity yeah. anywhere near 15%. But it's something that I'm looking forward to seeing how we might deploy um, as we sort of go on our journey. I think that that's the whole thing about this podcast. Mm. As we said from the very start, just as we're, just as you're learning and we hope to um, give some knowledge, we're also learning. Mm. This is a journey that we're all taking together. So, you know, there's definitely going to be times now in the future where, you know, we come on the podcast and mm. tell you something that we didn't look at or we didn't think was that important. Mm. And yeah, so let's keep going on this journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, the third and final point for me, Renners, is in such a volatile market, it sometimes can be difficult to keep on top of, you know, all your stocks if you're buying individual companies, uh, which can prove to be, you know, quite disastrous. And so they made mention of the fact that there are a number of ways that you can manage your risk while still being in the market. And one of those ways is through buying ETFs or exchange traded funds, which are essentially uh, listed fund management companies that give exposure to indexes. And so it's an easy way, as we'll discuss in a coming episode, to get access to uh, the market without having to worry so much about knowing information about you know individual companies and having to make the call on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they gave mention of a few that we'll discuss a bit later on um, in a bit more detail. Uh, but I I started my investing journey by buying into uh, diversifieds and then later on got into ETFs as well. 
Um, and I've got a couple on my list that I'm looking at at the moment. So uh, it was good to sort of hear them reinforce that as well. Nice one. All right, well, I guess how we'll leave this section of the podcast is maybe just a quick summation of some of the things that Climb talked about as being um, the features of quality businesses and what they look for when they're making investment decisions. So um, I already talked about return on equity. Uh, that's, an, that's a very important one for them. Um, but some of the other, the, the other features that they look for, they look for companies with dominant market positions. So, you know, that, that could be both having a large share of the market or having some form of protection, whether that be, you know, high barriers to entry or, you know, um, protected intellectual property. Just, just something that gives them a strong, strong position in the market. Yeah, strong brand. Yeah. Um, another feature was um, self-funded growth from cash flows. And tied to that was also um, moderate or no gearing. So essentially what that means is that the company can fund its, its business operations and its expansion from the money it's generating. Um, it doesn't have to go to the bank or it doesn't have to raise capital from investors. And obviously that can't be a hard and fast rule. There's times when companies should take on debt. Um, you know, if a, if a company's going to acquire another company, they'll have to raise capital or, you know, they might just be trying to expand their business activities. Uh, they sense an opportunity and they need to raise debt for it. So don't think of this as a hard and fast rule. But in general, what you want to see from companies is them being able to sustain their growth from the money they're making. And they don't have to go to external sources to get it. Another feature that they look for, which is tied to uh, what I was talking about before with Australian large cap companies, is that they want to see that the earnings the company's made are sensibly apportioned. So that means, you know, they're not paying too high a dividend, they're inv- investing back into their core competencies, what they do well as a business, what continues to generate cash for them. Um, and yeah, it's, it's also a sign of a, a good management team, uh, which is the next feature that Klein look for. If um, you have a good management team in place, they're going to be allocating capital well, mm. and um, that's something that they, they look for. Uh, the final one that Klein looks for is uh, they want to see um, less cyclical growth, so um, a great example of that is Australian mining companies. Um, they are completely reliant on the they're completely reliant on the price of commodities, and commodity prices are quite cyclical in their nature. So you know when iron ore price rises or the coal price rises, um, you know Rio Tinto, BHP, they have an absolute field day and they have a run up in their share price. But then when coal or iron ore prices fall, the share price falls commensurate to that. And what you don't want to be is an investor that's left holding the shares when iron ore prices fall and all of a sudden, you know, the valuation might... Especially if you don't actually have an understanding of what influences the cyclical nature of the business. Yeah, yeah. If you're just betting on the fact that maybe in the future prices are going to go up, then you can get into a serious amount of trouble. Yeah, and I mean, by all means, get get stuck into studying iron ore prices... (laughs) And, Make if a lot you, of money. and back yourself in to be the first one to sell when the price will turn. Mm. But look, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Mm. I, I imagine most people aren't going to do that. Mm. So like, that's not to say don't buy Australian miners, but that's just to say go into owning them with your eyes open. Mm. Recognise that they do have large run-ups in price, um, and we're seeing a pretty good run for the miners recently, but that is heavily influenced by the price of commodities. And just as we're seeing a pretty good run for them recently, in the future we will see that turn. And so don't be left holding them when when it does. Yeah, nice. I think something actionable that I'm going to do is take these uh, features of a quality business and try and go through my portfolio and see if they match up to one or two or maybe all of the points. Um, And I think, you know, that's something that uh, our equity mates could also find of use um, 
you know, just as a fun little exercise. Yeah, absolutely. All cool. Right, All right, stock of the week. <laughs> so we're going to do this every podcast. Yes. Um, and this is by no means uh, here's a stock you should run out and buy a lot of. No way. Like, we're, as we're saying through this whole journey, we're not professional advisors, we're not professional investors, but hopefully through our conversations about shares and um, seeing if they perform well or just as likely if they perform poorly, <laughs> yes. um, you as the listener can take something out of it. And I think we as the people under pressure to make some good picks will take something out of it as well. Yeah, well, we're definitely not picking these stocks for other people. These are stocks that we will probably buy ourselves anyway. Yeah. So we're not just doing this for the sake of having a stock to pick each mm. week. Yeah. Um, so we could go super safe every week and, you know, pick our, like a big protected large cap company in Australia. Yeah. So boring. Yeah, we could go like Telstra, Commonwealth, Transurban, BHP, BHP, Rio. <laughs> and just not really get anything out of it and not really give you as a listener anything out of it as well. So we're going to put ourselves out there a bit more and... Pick some companies that you probably haven't heard of, some companies that we haven't really heard of before we started doing research for it, and we're going to have a conversation about why we picked it, what attracted us to it, what we think are potential risks in picking it, and then what we're going to do, as we've said before, is uh, put it on our website and have a hypothetical portfolio that you can uh, look up at any time, see how we're going, and... You know, just sort of like think back to the conversations we've had mm. and then compare that to, you know, performance six months down the line, 12 months mm. down the line, and hopefully you get something out of it. So let's get started. All right. Well, why don't you kick us off and tell us what we're going to be seeing some money into? <laughs> okay. First cab off the rank is a stock or a company called Gateway Lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a start. <laughs> First cab off the rank is a company called Gateway Lifestyle Style. <laughs> Oh, all right. So it's a company called Gateway Lifestyle Group. There we go. Uh, And it's ASX code? It's G-T-Y. Okay. So if you want to look it up or you're listening, asx.com.au and type in G-T-Y and you'll be able to uh, see what we're talking about. It's a company that is in a space that we're both really interested in. Yeah. Oh, I think before we get into it, we should say we're recording this on the 16th of Feb and its share price is currently $2.01. So that's what we're going to lock in for our portfolio. Great. Good little yeah. price. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. To kick it off, well, Renners, you, as I was saying, we're both really interested in this space. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, to do with aged care. Yeah. Um, and that's probably what first drew our attention to it. Yeah. So, I mean, take it away. What, what, so what, what, what does it do? It's listed in... Oh, sorry. It's listed on the ASX as a real estate company. Um, but essentially what its business model is, is it owns uh, large, I guess, like large tracts of land... Uh, that it is turned into retirement communities. And it, at this stage, it owns 53 different communities. Uh, they're all, well, most of them are outside major city centres. And essentially what they're doing is trying to attract retirees that are interested in a sort of sea change for their retirement. Now, the the unique thing uh, that Gateway are doing, as opposed to the sort of traditional business model of retirement villages and retirement communities, is that they are offering retirees the opportunity to design their own home And then Gateway will actually manufacture that home for them and place it on their plot of land. And in doing that, they'll only charge the retirees for the the house and not the land underneath it. And that gives them significant pricing power in relation to other retirement housing options. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit later. Um, 
but that is that's uh, an important aspect of the business model to keep in mind. Hmm. So essentially, it just its aim is to make uh, retirement living cheaper for retirees. Yeah, yeah. Now a little bit of their history. So they're pretty fresh onto the ASX. They've only been listed for a couple of years, and they've pursued a pretty aggressive acquisition strategy. Um, and so what they've done is they've raised money both through listing and then through a capital raising and also by raising debt and have acquired a number of sites that they're currently in the process of turning into these retirement communities. So I guess that's best illustrated in the rise in revenue. Um, in financial year 2015, they had only done $5 million in revenue and that's jumped up to over $100 million at the end of financial year 2016. So that's sort of indicative of you know, they, they were doing a lot of acquisitions in 2014, 2015, and they're in the process of converting those acquisitions into uh, sites that they're putting retirees on. Yeah, so the reason that they're probably doing such an aggressive uh, growth strategy is making mention of the fact that this was one of our favourite spaces is because they're probably trying to um, solidify their mark in this market um, because they can... Well, we all know that our population is ageing, and in years to come... Um, the aging popu- the aged population is going to be what 8.8 million people over the age of uh, 65 by 55 by 2055, yeah. double what it is now. Yeah. So they're foreseeing a demand that there's going to be a demand for this sort of housing uh, for retired uh, couples, individuals, whatever. Yeah. One of the major reservations I have with Gateway. Uh, is its aggressive growth strategy. And it might seem a bit counterintuitive, but whilst they are doing it to sort of solidify their brand in the market at the moment and, you know, get as many uh, communities up and running as they can so they can get their brand out there, uh, I think that the risk you run in being so aggressive is that uh, if you're not careful with your cash flow, then uh, you can run into real problems in terms of your level of debt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And then... That has a flow-on effect, and before you know it, you've really gone too hard, and you, you have to start scaling back. Investors yeah. are pulling out, and uh, you can go downhill really quickly. Yeah, and that, that is something that is particularly noticed, notable about the Gateway, is that they do have a relatively high level of debt. It's over, it's over $100 million in long-term debt, uh, and that's compared to about $700 million in assets. Mm. Um, but not all debt is created equal, no. um, and we're not too worried about this debt for a couple of reasons, which we'll get into now. We'll, well I mean, one, one reason that to me it's not a massive issue is because they have been so aggressive over the last couple of years that they, ha- they have had to have taken on such large amounts of debt in order to get to where they are today. So without taking on that debt, the process of expansion might have taken a lot longer. Yeah. Uh, and looking at what we know about the company, the occupancy rates aren't actually that bad. They're, they're well over 50%. Yeah. Uh, and so if they can maintain this level of occupancy and increase it from where they are, then... The value of the company is not is is only going to increase, making the size of the debt appear a lot less confronting. Yeah, and, absolutely. And also their revenue stream to um, service this debt um, is quite consistent. And if it keeps in trend of the sort of forecasts that the management are making, then paying down the debt isn't something that we should really be too worried about. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah. I mean, uh, another question I have is uh, the locations of the uh, communities. I'm not really... I mean, we've had a look at the lists and there's some places in there that I wouldn't want to go to as a retiree, <laughs> Albury, uh, or there's something there that I haven't really heard of. So it begs the question, are they choosing communities in places that are attractive outside of the fact that they would be moving because it's cheap? You know, would, would someone move there as a retiree just because it provides a nice living environment? Are there good facilities and that sort of stuff? Mm. Uh, or are they just choosing facilities and communities to buy just because they are there and they have the ability to do so and they want to create a big portfolio? Yeah. So that's something that I would keep an eye on yeah. and I know a lot of it is heavily based in New South Wales it makes sense you know their whole thing is come and have a sea change live by the coast in all these little nice towns and with Sydney getting priced out a lot at the moment it's now becoming a lot more affordable to live in places like these and these places are in as a result going to become sort of much bigger centres of, of living that would probably be one of my reservations so I think with, with the location it, it obviously is a concern but the what, what gateway are banking on, and I guess as investors, what we're kind of betting on as well, is that this generation of retirees are going to feel the financial pinch in a way that no generation of retirees has ever really felt it before. And there are a number of reasons for that. Um, the main one is just cost of living in major cities is exploding. And also that superannuation for this generation is like they haven't had their whole working life to accumulate the solid superannuation balances and so what we see is that uh, for someone aged 60 today um, who hasn't yet retired the average superannuation balance is only only $95,000 which is like it's a scary thought really yeah. that you're going to potentially retire at 65 and have what the equity in your house plus the 95000 that you've yeah. got in the super and you need that to generate an income to survive the rest of your life and, and the other thing that is going to make the financial pressure worse for this generation of retirees than any other generation before is the, ironically enough, the advancements in medical technology that is pushing life expectancy further and further out. And so, you know, retiring at 65, you now have the potential to live for, you know, 30 years or, you know, maybe by the time, you know, some of these people are retiring 40 years even, whereas that wasn't as much a likelihood back in the day. But then commensurate with that is that health, costs are rising so a great proportion of your retirement income is going to be tied up in keeping yourself alive which then ironically enough makes the remaining portion have to stretch further yeah so there's quite a lot of financial pressure and what gateway does that we think may become quite attractive in the longer term is as you were saying retirees generally have the equity in their house and then their superannuation and maybe you know some investments and stuff like that um but the equity in the house is the main asset. And traditionally, what you would do is uh, you would uh, you sell you sell your house and then you downsize and you buy another house. That house you... is either going to be 
in a retirement facility like Gateway or, you know, a, a residential house. Yeah, yeah. Um, what Gateway does that's quite unique is uh, because they sell the house but not the land, um, they are actually uh, quite a bit cheaper than the average house but also the average retirement village uh, house or unit. Mm. So we pulled up some figures here just to illustrate that. At the moment... Uh, if you're going to get a retirement living house in New South Wales, the average is about $390,000, whereas Gateway are, are charging $285,000 uh, in New South Wales. Similarly, in Queensland, there's a $130,000 difference, and uh, in Victoria, uh, the difference is actually quite large. There's, about, there's over $200,000 difference. So what's the difference and, in New South Wales between, say, buying a Gateway property or downsizing into a residential unit? Um, so the average... Apartment price or residential unit price in New South Wales is uh, $680,000. So there's a $400,000 difference. But even if you're looking at the retirement option, the important thing to keep in mind is that whilst you know uh, $100,000 difference may, may not seem a lot to you know the 30-year-old investor who isn't thinking about retirement for years and years to come, for the 65-year-old retiree who only has $95,000 of super in their account, that $100,000 is quite significant and is a big consideration when, when you're making these retirement well, this decisions. Is, this is Gateway's selling point, yeah. essentially. Because the income that you could be able to generate from that 100 k in your, having it in your super account, yeah. you know, it, it, it could mean the difference between a retirement where you're struggling on the pension and one where, yeah, you might still be needing some government assistance, but you're definitely living a lot more comfortable as well. Yeah. And the other thing to note is um, when you pass away, the, um, the house that you buy with Gateway actually forms a part of your estate and you can bequeath it to another retiree or you can sell it and give the proceeds to your family. And so just having, like, being able to, the, having the comfort of knowing that you own that asset in the house is, um, is good for the retiree as well. It would be interesting to note just uh, what the appreciation on the houses would be over yeah, time. But I don't know I don't much. Because you're yeah. not owning the land. No. And with, mo- with a lot of houses, like the appreciation comes from owning the land. Yeah, so, which yeah. is why it's a good business for gateways. Yeah, being, exactly. they're owning yeah. such a large quantity of land. Yeah. So um, do you have any other things that you are worried about with the, with the company? Uh, one thing that I thought about that could potentially turn retirees off from making the decision to go and live in a gateway community would be the fact that Gateway don't offer any additional aged care services. They are entirely uh, a provider of a space and a house to live. And yes, they provide like a community centre and a bus into town, but they don't actually have anything in their communities that are specifically tailored towards the needs of elderly. in the sense that, you know, if if you needed an emergency, there was no mention of the fact that they will be giving you... Uh, quicker access to emergency services yeah. or... Or like a nurse on site or anything Exactly, like that. exactly. Yeah. So if you were in a position where you needed those services, then this probably isn't the best place for you at that time of retirement. Now, having said that, you're going to re- say you retire at 65 and you wanted that sea change, by all means, they might say, look, we'll go there for, say, 10 years and if things start to go downhill, then we've still got the asset, we've still got our cash, we can sell and move to an appropriate facility. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying that for some retirees, it might not be the best option just because uh, some do really need those additional services at this time in their life. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's targeted to a certain demographic of retirees. Yeah. And given the expanding size of the market that we're going to see, that isn't necessarily a problem in and of itself because mm-hmm. as the pie grows, you can target smaller niches in a pie, in that pie mm-hmm. and you know still remain profitable. Mm-hmm. And I think 
that you know if people are retiring at sort of 65, they generally will have quite a few good years left before health, yeah. before they need to start looking at moving to a you know a full retirement like a, a full care facility. Um, I don't know what the technical term is there, but yeah, I, I mean I I understand the concern. I I think that it's something that they they would be aware of and yeah yeah. yeah. I mean, other than that, though, um, you know, I think that that's probably most of my dislikes. Yeah. Uh, certainly, there are more likes than there are dislikes for me. Yeah. Um, as we as we mentioned before, something that I quite like is the dual income stream that they've got going on. So they've got an income stream that one comes from payments that the retirees make on a weekly basis to the company. What was it? One hundred and forty dollars a week. Yeah, the average rent is one hundred and forty dollars. One hundred and forty dollars a week. And then the second stream of income comes from the sale of the house. So they manufacture manufacture the houses off-site, presumably through a contractor, and then they ship the houses in, build them on-site, and then the retiree will build that house at, you would presume, a slightly additional cost to the cost of actually building it. Yeah, which we should say is the business model for most retirement. Yeah, there's nothing unusual they, about that. Yeah, yeah, but it is just nice for an investor to know that when, like, with the current occupancy that you have, you're constantly generating income, uh, yeah, generating income from them. But then, with every new resident that you bring in, you get a nice little payment up front in the, the profit from the design of the house, and then you add them to your like continuing revenue base. Mm. Yeah. So, something that when I was initially looking at this company, I was quite worried about, but in thinking about it and in looking into it, I actually think it can be quite a unique selling point is the idea of the manufactured home. And let's be honest, in terms of the points of difference, location is one to an extent, but, I mean, there are other retirement villages in, yeah. like, and, like, rural locations and sea-shaped locations. Yeah. And I'm sure there are other retirement villages also doing manufactured homes. But in terms of, like, the traditional retirement village model, what you would normally do is you, as a retiree, would buy uh, a unit or a, a house in the retirement village that someone has lived in before, and then you would move in, and if you had a disability or if you had special needs, what you'd have to do is then pay to get that facility or that, sorry, that apartment or house retrofitted for yeah, your needs. Yeah. Um, what manufactured homes offer that's very, uh, that I think is better, is um, the ability to design the house that you need with your unique requirements in mind. Okay. So, you know, whether... Whether that's you know complete wheelchair accessibility and all of the cupboards and um, you know just everything in the house being at a height for the wheelchair, yeah. or you know whether you really you know if you're losing your sight and yeah. you need you know things create bigger Hand, or handrails, yeah, handrails, bigger bathrooms, any of that big stuff, big light switches, yeah, um, appliances that were a lot easier to use, yeah, all, all that of that sort of stuff. All of that stuff can be factored into the design of the house, yeah. and so what you get through that design process is our better living experience. Yeah, much better higher standard. Yeah, so, that, so that's good. But if manufactured homes still have that sort of demountable classroom look that we all sort of remember from our primary school days, then it wouldn't be an attractive proposition for a lot of retirees. But in looking at manufactured homes where they currently stand now, it's actually quite tough to tell the difference between a manufactured home and a... Um, a built on site home mm-hmm. like all all of the things that you could want from a, a house that's built on site you can really get from a manufactured home yeah and i don't think there's i don't think the retirees would even be worrying about if it's manufactured off site or built on site one of the major advantages of it being manufactured off site is that you can get the process happening 
well before you want to actually move to the location and then it's shipped in on a truck and built you know within a matter of potentially weeks so there's not a, a huge you can, you can have the time of selling your house and then pretty much move straight in if it's there yeah um, no but I, I like that point and you, you can see that down the track as technology progresses and and uh, they start incorporating this technology into these houses then they could really be developing houses that are entirely unique to your living situation yeah which absolutely. could be a very um, yeah as you said really increase the standard of living yeah um, I like that. And, that, and that's something that a lot of retirees want to do they want to um, I think the term they use is age in place uh, and that essentially means have their house uh, they can live in um, and grow old in for as long as possible and yeah. avoid the trip to you know the full care retirement home or to hospice or to whatever it is mm. they want to avoid making that trip for as long as possible and if Gateway can offer the opportunity to age in place for longer, then that's great for Gateway's investors. No, no nothing more from me. I think, um, you know, when when you look at this stock, it um, it's obviously quite early in its business cycle. Yeah. Um, but you're paying uh, 13 times earnings to get it. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's pretty good. I think the average is like 20. <laughs> I mean, those sort of statistics are incredibly... Contextual, yeah, but like he's going to know what thirteen times in it, like you know what I mean? Like, yeah, true, is, true. It, is it very important? Yeah, true. Well, I mean, it probably is an important thing. <laughs> um, net tangible asset, it's a dollar forty per share. So that means if the company liquidates today, you know, um, if you're paying two dollars a share for it, it's, it's you know you got a dollar forty a share back yeah. in, in assets. All right. So, uh, Renz, is there anything else that you love about Gateway? Anything else that you don't like about Gateway? Before we quickly wrap this up. No. Wow, that was quick. Okay, so I think we've definitely given you guys uh, enough information about Gateway and given you a good example of how Renners and I both like to discuss companies and come to a conclusion about um, why we think they're either a good buy or not a good buy. We both definitely think that um, this company has a lot of potential. Uh, we're excited about the space that it's in and this is definitely going to be our first stock on our uh, hypothetical portfolio. <laughs> I, I think maybe... We should, we should say something um, about the financials, just because I think a lot of people will be uh, sitting there thinking, like, they haven't really talked about uh, the financials at all. And right. I think, uh, we, not, not much. We talked a little bit about their debt, we talked a little bit about their revenue growth. But I think the way that both of us look at uh, investing is we obviously look at the financials, but we more look and see if there are any major red flags. Yeah. So as long as everything is... You know, uh, in, in a normal range is uh, sort of what what the industry average is, or a little bit better than the industry average. Um, then that isn't going to be either the decision to buy or not to buy. No. If there's obvious red flags, we'll cross it off the list. But once you see that the financials are pretty run of the mill, um, in this case, the financials are a little bit better than um, average. Um, then what we do is we do we have the conversation that we just did. Yeah. Um, and we talk about the future outlook, uh, whether we think the business model will work, whether we think they'll be able to attract consumers. Because at the end of the day, you can look at charts and you can look at um, cash flow statements and you can look at balance sheets until the cows come home. But if you're not going to be able to continue to attract more customers with like a business offering that is enticing, yeah. then a snapshot of your financials is going to be neither here nor there. Yeah. So, And I also want to add to that is, whilst we also look at the financials, this discussion process helps us to prove that we actually have an understanding of the business yeah. so that we're not just blindsiding ourselves and looking at the financials and being like, yeah, great, they're above industry average, tick, let's go for it. We've looked at the financials 
And then we've tried to dissect it in a way that we can really understand and we've gone, great, we understand this business. We can see opportunities for it. We can see ways in which they might fall down. And if we can understand both of those sides and see which one outweighs each other, then we can make a much more informed decision. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, we might be wrong, but yeah. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to be in it to win it really. And I think, I think with this, uh, we'll, we'll run through some of the, uh, some of the positives and negatives. Um, I think... Really, the big negative for me is their debt, yep. and that that worries me. Yep. If um, but relatively confident that uh, the management is in place and the business model is in place, that they're going to be able to convert uh, what they use that debt for in these land acquisitions uh, into um, new paying customers in, and new retirees. And so, I'm confident that although there is a lot of debt, that debt won't be a problem um, on a long term basis. Cool. Yeah. Uh, one of my dislikes that I mentioned before is that they might have a slightly more limited market in the fact that they don't provide fully or any sort of additional aged care facilities. And I was also a bit worried about some of the locations. I wasn't sure if there was much thought going into the locations that they were purchasing or if they were doing it just because they had the opportunity to do so and wanted to aggressively expand. Those are our main dislikes. The likes that we had were the attractiveness of owning your own home at a much cheaper price than if you were to do it in another way, either in a downsized residential property or in another retirement facility, freeing up a lot of capital and equity that you had in your house. Uh, we also liked the fact that it had two streams of revenue, one very consistent uh, and one coming from owning uh, the manufacturing of the homes. Yeah, and I think another like uh, was with that manufacturing of the home uh, that you give retirees the opportunity to design the retirement home that they want to live in and that meets their needs um, if they have any special needs. And the biggest like of all, and we started the episode with this, was that it's in a space that we both love. We both know that there's going to be so much demand, consumption coming from this uh, demographic in the future. Population is certainly ageing and there's just going to be such a big focus on it. So we want to try and get in on it while we can. Yeah. So that's our stop for the week. First okay. one. Of- Sorry, one, one more like that we didn't really touch on was that I also like businesses where when a customer comes in, that customer is going to keep paying you for a while. And when a customer comes in to retire in your retirement village, they're going to be there for you know, 10 or 20 years at least. And that's great because it means you don't have to keep selling it to them every day. Yeah. That as long as they don't leave your facility, they're going to keep paying you. And that's a nice little protective buffer. That yeah. like once you have a customer, it's harder for them to leave. Yeah. Good, good point. So that's it. First stock of the week. Super pumped to get it up there. Uh, jump onto our website. What we're going to do now is post a nice little uh, summary of what we've discussed today in a bit more of a... You know, not so much detailed, but uh, easy, nice. easy to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. E- easy to read, easy to follow. And then we're also going to going to put up a graph uh, to show you our purchase price and to kick off our entire hypothetical port- port- portfolio, where you can see the the financials of it all. We're roughly going to be buying about two hundred and fifty shares with the five hundred dollars that we've got, uh, not even including brokerage, so that might drop it down a tiny little bit. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll speak to you next time. Yeah, thanks. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.